Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen, President and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit leaders all across the country to translate your vision into reality. I want to welcome everybody back to a, an exciting episode of the podcast, and today is going to be a marketing-focused topic. So I'm going to be joined by a friend and colleague of mine, Jenny Getze. Jenny is the founder of Nonprofit Jenny. Many of you may already be aware of Jenny because of her incredibly popular podcast and all of the fantastic work that she puts out there. We're going to be talking about email distribution, how to make best use of those email relationships that you have, how to use those to grow the relationships within your organization, and then also how that spills over into your social media marketing and communication with supporters. Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much. It's so good to be here. Jenny, it's great to have you join us. I, I've been we've been talking for quite a while, and I'm thrilled to have you finally able to to join the podcast where our schedules align. Tell us a little bit about your background and your work with nonprofits. Sure. So I actually started um, in uh, marketing research in my career. So um, so I was helping companies and nonprofits with figuring out, you know, who is the audience that they're talking to, what is that audience looking for. Um, what does the audience think that their branding is saying to them? Because often when we put our brand out there, we might think that we're giving out one message, but our audience is receiving a totally different message. So I started as like a marketing nerd, I call myself. Um, and nonprofits were always my favorite types of organizations to work with. So, um, so I uh, started working with nonprofits exclusively, and now I'm a marketing and fundraising consultant with organizations. And it's it's really fun to be able to put into practice that marketing research background into actual implementation of of marketing strategies. Jenny, one of the reasons I'm drawn to your work is because of how practical it is, how impactful it is, and and your deep understanding of the nonprofit sector and what organizations are trying to communicate and how how best to do that. If you don't mind, let's start with email. Many yeah. of our organizations, our nonprofits, have extensive email lists. We gather email addresses in all different ways, our events, our fundraisers, clients that we serve. We wind up with this, this robust email list. I wanna get into, from your perspective, what is the value of that type of email list and how nonprofits can make the most use of that in an intentional and thoughtful way? Sure. So. I think something that a lot of nonprofit leaders, especially if you're working for like a small shop nonprofit and you're kind of wearing all these hats and you're doing it all and you're responsible for marketing, but that's not really what your job is. A lot of nonprofit leaders pour a ton of time into their social media accounts, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but the benefit of an email is when you send an email to 200 people on your list you know for sure that all 200 people are receiving that email. They may not open it, but they definitely receive it, right? Whereas in social media, a lot of nonprofit leaders don't realize that people, you can't guarantee who's going to see your social media posts. So if you have 200 followers on social media, likely only up to 10% of them are seeing every post 
post that you put out there up to 10%. It's usually more like 5%. So you might get 10 to 20 people who see that message on social media versus an email, you know, for sure, all 200 are receiving it. So that's the value of email is it it sounds obvious, but you know, people are going to receive it. And Jenny, I think this this varies widely for organizations. I, I know I'm on a number of nonprofit email lists. I'm sure you are as well. One of the questions I get asked frequently is, how often should we be emailing our supporters? So if we're a nonprofit organization, what is the optimal frequency or number of emails that we should be sending? We obviously don't want to inundate people to the point where they get annoyed, uh, but we do want to stay top of mind and keep people updated about the impact that we're having and the needs that we have as an organization. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great question. Um, I'm going to give you an answer that I know you're going to hate, but it's it depends, right? So it it just depends on your organization. It depends on how much information you have to get out there. Um, and it depends on your donor base or your supporter base. Um, I also really want to break up a lot of nonprofit leaders when they think of emailing their supporters, they think of their email list, like their MailChimp list or their constant contact or whatever. I encourage nonprofit leaders to think of two different types of email. So one type of email is your email newsletter that you're sending to all of your supporters or segments of your supporters. The other type of email is like direct email that you're sending one-on-one to people. You don't have time to send one-on-one emails to every single person you know, obviously. If you've got 200 people on your list, you you can't communicate with them one-on-one with 200 people. What you can do, though, is think about your top 10 or your top 20 donors, the people who give who are major donors for your organization. Those people you should be contacting one on one more frequently than you're sending them email newsletters because they they need a little a little extra love. Um, So with those people, I try to email them a personal email once a month or at least once a quarter. That's just relationship building. Um, so I'll say, okay, on Monday, the first Monday of every month, I'm going to go to my top 10 people's LinkedIn accounts, see what they've been up to, send them a personalized email that's like, hey, saw you into a conference last week. What'd you learn? Who'd you meet? Um, let's get lunch. And and just build that relationship. And then at the end of the email, oh, by the way, our organization did something really cool this month, and I thought you might like to hear about it. So that's one type of email. Your email newsletter, I what I encourage is you think about how often you need to ask for a donation or ask for some sort of support, whether that's volunteering or donations. And insert in between those two deadlines um, or in between those deadlines, you need to insert three non-ask emails. So if I have a campaign in the fall and a campaign in the spring, I need to have three emails between the fall and the spring that do not ask for anything, but are just giving stories like inspirational stories or saying, hey, thanks to your donations, adding up to five grand in our last campaign, we were able to do X, Y, and Z. If you can email more frequently than that and actually have good content, not just fluff, that's absolute, that's great. You should do that. But you want to have at least three pieces in between your ask that are just relationship building pieces. 
Jenny, I, I've been a busy nonprofit executive in the past, and I know many of our listeners are right now as well. Many are wearing multiple hats. And the question comes up, how much time should I spend? Is there value in me looking at my email list and trying to segment out different groups? Whether, let's say, in our, in our email list of 200, I have 100 donors, I have 50 volunteers, and I have... Uh, 50 folks who we just don't know where they came from, but they wound up on our email list. How much time should I be spending trying to figure out what those different segments are and then targeting different emails to each of those groups, as opposed to, as you mentioned, just we have our MailChimp list, we have our constant contact list. Let's blast out an email to everybody. There's definitely a balance to be struck. There's obviously so much value in segmenting because if you've got your volunteers, even within that segment of people who are volunteering, there are going to be some people who are volunteering because they're retired or they're stay-at-home parents or whatever, and um, and they can they have more hours to give you versus people who are volunteers who volunteer one one day a year on their employee give back day, right? So you ideally want to talk to the, those two segments differently. Um, but if you if you don't have time to segment, you you don't have time to segment. And so there's there's a formula that I typically recommend and it's basically like impact story, call to action. And if that's all you have time for, you share an impact story and you share a call to action. It's really important in that impact to make sure you're saying, because of you, this is what we were able to do. So so people understand the value that they have in your community and understand that they're being counted on to continue to have that impact. Um, and then your call to action, you want to vary. So you, you could even have... Um, options like if you don't have time to segment you can say hey if you want to support um if you want to like adopt a classroom it, you can donate five hundred dollars to do that if you want to sign up to become a reader in our classrooms here's how to do that you you can give options it's best if you can segment and give one call to action that's really strong to a segment um but it's just it's just based on what you have time to do a time-saving tip I'll tell you, though, is people really are loving videos. Um, there's a tool, uh, I, I don't know if you use this, Gregory, called Loom. Have you used Loom before? I, I haven't used Loom. I've, I've heard a little bit about it, but please go ahead and, and share a little bit more about it. Yeah. Let me get you bought in real quick. Okay. So Loom is this awesome tool. You can sign up for a free account. Um and basically like so what it does, sorry? I like it so far. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what you do is you record a video of yourself and of your screen at the same time. So let's say I'm sending an email newsletter out that's about our um, our spring campaign. It's a fundraising campaign. We're trying to raise $5,000 and there's a donation page. So I can record our donation page and my face at the same time and just record a really short video that explains here's what the impact of $5,000 would do. Um, here's what it did last year when you helped us raise that amount. And then 
you can insert that video into an email and people have the option to either watch the video or read a transcript of the video. So if you're if you are more of a reader than a video watcher, you can be accommodated in that way. Um, or if you're more of an auditory learner, you can listen to the message. So that's one way to really save time. I, I send looms all the time to people now whenever I have to explain something complex. I can record a three-minute video and not have to keep rehashing over and over again this email that I'm trying to type out and get the perfect verbiage, you know? Absolutely. I love that. I'm you you have you have convinced me. So I'm gonna go check Great. that out after the podcast. Encourage our listeners to check that out as well. Um, another question, and I really like the framework that you shared of you know, understanding what is our impact story and then what is our call to action. It mirrors a lot of, you know, when I'm talking to boards and I'm talking to nonprofit leaders about sharing their story, it's thinking about any communication intentionally through that lens of no feel do. What do I want the receiver of this communication to know at the end of our meeting? How do I want them to feel? Am I trying to inspire them? Am I trying to alert them to something concerning? What is it? And then what do I want them to do with that information and that feeling? So I like that framework because it allows leaders to be much more targeted and much more focused in in our communication. Another question I get asked often from nonprofit leaders when it comes to email marketing is things around day and time. You know, if I'm sending out a message from my organization, is it better to send it during the workday? Is it better to send it during the evening? Is it better to send it during a weekday or an, on a weekend? What tends to have better open rates, better reception? Um, any thoughts you might have on kind of time of day, day of the week uh, when it comes to email marketing? Yeah. So what I would say first is if you have the budget, um, I think it is totally worth it to invest in a paid email marketing plan. So like MailChimp has like the free version or a couple levels up. There's this option where um, you can have MailChimp analyze each of your recipients' uh, open history and send an email specifically for each person at the right time for each individual person. So if you have the budget, that's something that I think is worth investing in, especially if you have a larger list. Um, if you don't have the budget to do that, you're like a small shop nonprofit, you can only send one email at the same time to everybody in your list. Typically, the best time of day is a weekday, not a Monday, um, not the first of the month, not the last uh, day of the month, and have it like at lunchtime or a little bit later, because that's when people are starting to feel the drag of the day on them, May maybe ate a little too much at lunch. They don't have the energy to do uh, really like thinking intensive work. And so that's when they're most likely to open those newsletters and kind of passively look at information that's that's interesting to them versus doing more productive things. Good point. I had not thought about the post-lunch or the after-lunch um, aspect of it. So I think that's a great tip yeah. for nonprofit leaders. Um, when you think of gathering email addresses, so another question that we get asked a lot is, 
how exactly do I go about gathering email addresses? We want, as an organization, to grow our email list because it helps us get the word out there about who we are and what we do. What are some best practices or tips around asking people for their email information, where you should go to do that, any, any tips you might have or strategies there? Yeah, the first tip would be uh, do not buy an email list. Um, it's It feels as the email recipient like a huge invasion of privacy and is not a good look for your nonprofit to be like, hey, all of a sudden our email is showing up in your inbox and you have no idea who we are. Like that's, it's just not good. Don't, don't do it. Um, I would also think about why you give your email address to people. Uh, so for, if I'm on a store's website, I'm only giving them my, my email address if they say they're going to send me a coupon. Or if I'm on another consultant's website, like a nonprofit consultant's website, I'm only going to give them my email address if I get access to a free webinar or if I get access to like a PDF toolkit or something. So think about why people might want to give you their email address. Um, so for example, I have a client, um, they offer, um, they offer support for people who are coming out of homes with domestic violence. And so to get people on their email list who um, are on that side of things, they offer a free um, resource guide for people who are escaping homes with domestic violence. And you uh, put in your email address and the resource guide gets emailed to you. Um, they also have another page on their website on the supporter side that's like, hey, if you want a toolkit to support someone who's living in a domestic violence situation, give us your email address, we'll send you that toolkit. So think about what people want to receive in their emails from you. Um, I also would not just depend on at the at the bottom, the very bottom of your homepage saying like, sign up for our newsletter. People hate the word newsletter. There have been studies done that show like, over 50% of people who unsubscribe or, or mark your email as spam do so because you have the word newsletter in the subject line. So don't don't tell people you have a newsletter. Tell them we're going to send you resources, we're going to send you inspiring feel good stories. Don't don't tell them that you have a newsletter. Nobody wants that. Good tips. I had not thought about that. That's an interesting point about how newsletter cuz you're right as I, you know, even as I sit here and think about newsletter, you know, I'm not likely to sign up for something like that, but inspiring stories, tips, photos, videos, resources that are of value, I think um, gives a lot more uh, substance to someone signing up. Let's shift the conversation and talk a little bit about social media. So we've spent time talking about best practices for nonprofits when it comes to their email marketing. What are your thoughts and tips for our nonprofit leaders listening when it comes to the best use of their social media accounts? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So think again about what you use social media for. Typically, if if somebody um, shares, it, like if I'm on Instagram, Instagram is is probably the biggest social media tool out there right now. That's is just like uh, very image focused, um, and it's the most public. Uh, Facebook is more of a private kind of platform where you're just looking for friends and family. Instagram is what people are looking at for like news and stuff. Um, so if I'm scrolling on Instagram and I see a nonprofit post about an event, I think, 
okay, that's cool. I should look into signing up for that. And then I totally forget about it because right after that, I look at 15 other Instagram posts. So if you're going to advertise an event on Instagram, I it needs to be an advertisement where I can click or tap the image to sign up for your event right there. Don't tell me link in bio. I'm not going to go to your link in bio. I just, I'm just not going to do that. People just don't do that. So you need to make it as easy as possible for people to follow through on a call to action if you're going to have a call to action on social media. What social media is really good for is sharing stuff. So um, back to Instagram, I really love a carousel, which means just a bunch of images or videos all in one post that I'm that I'm swiping left to see, right? Mm-hmm. I love a carousel that shares fast facts about a mission and that shares some really good t- practical tips for how I can serve a mission that I care about. I'm going to share those to my stories. Um, on TikTok, I really want a, a, a video that is really quick and shares three tips for for getting involved in a mission that I care about so that I can t- take that link and put it in a text message. So you want to create content that people want to share, but I also see nonprofits go too far in that direction where they want to share like jokes and memes and they have nothing to do with their mission. So, you know, make sure it's a good use of your time, especially if you're a salaried staff member and not just a volunteer, you need to be responsible with how you're using your time, make sure it's mission focused. Um, But that's what social media is really good for is like that awareness piece of the supporter funnel. You mentioned videos and social media. I see a lot of nonprofits sharing videos. What is, and you mentioned short, what is the optimal video length? So for you, Jenny, as as you're scrolling your Instagram and you see a video that captures your attention, how long are you expecting it to be? You need to get someone's attention in two seconds. Your first two seconds need to be really strong. So edit that video. If your first two seconds, I'm going to speak for myself. The first two seconds of my videos are usually me. I have this bad habit. I'll like lick my lips before I start talking. Nobody wants to see that in their first two seconds. So I trim that video down and I delete that part. So it's it's immediately like gets to the point. Don't start your video with, hey, everybody. Nobody's going to keep watching. You you didn't grab my attention in two seconds. So that first two seconds really matters. After that, your video can be up to a minute long. Um, once you hit the one minute mark, people are like, okay, I just want to keep scrolling, right? Um, these are sad facts, but these are the facts about the world we live in. <laughs> so I'm just giving it to you straight. The other thing is um, you really want to tell people why they're going to watch, why they're going to sit down and watch your video. So um, if you're telling me three facts about how to help a a stray dog I find on the street, put a headline on the video. You can add text on Instagram and TikTok on your video that say three ways to help a stray dog. Put that on there so that if you don't catch my attention in the first two seconds, at least I know what the video is about. So I I know if it's worth continuing to watch. Appreciate that. Jenny, final question for you, and it relates to social media, is LinkedIn. 
A lot of nonprofit yeah. leaders, many of us are on LinkedIn, but for nonprofit leaders and organizations, how do you think through the optimal way to use LinkedIn? What is that particularly good for when it comes to nonprofit leaders and organizations? What I like LinkedIn for is showing recognition for corporations that are supporting my nonprofit so that they can and tagging those organizations and companies so that they can share my post to to get me out to their network. Um, and showing that appreciation helps build that relationship with them. I like to tag people in the comments, individuals, and say, uh, hey, we have this webinar or seminar coming up, this lunch and learn. Are you available? Can you tag two other people in the comments who might also be available to come with you? Um I don't like using LinkedIn as if it's the same as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, because people aren't there for the same reason. Like people are on LinkedIn to get really quick, practical information that's especially career focused. They're not there for the touchy, feel good stories. They they just don't have time for that on LinkedIn. Um, the other thing is, I, I gotta be honest, I just don't like LinkedIn. <laughs> it's, it's not a good platform. And they have no motivation to get better because they don't have any competition. Like that's the professional network. So their feed and their algorithm are not great. The only way to guarantee people will see your LinkedIn post is to tag them in the comments or tag them in the post. So it's if you don't have time to do that, it's honestly not worth your time posting on anything on LinkedIn. Jenny, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. You have shared a ton of tips and nuggets of wisdom, even given us a new resource, Loom, that I'm going to check out after the <laughs> podcast today. For those who want more information or would like to connect with you directly, what is the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Yeah, they can go to nonprofitjenny.com. I've got lots of free resources there. Um, and Jenny is spelled J-E-N-N-I. So nonprofitjenny.com. Excellent. Jenny, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, and for all who are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with your friends, your colleagues, your coworkers. Post about it on social media or include it in your email communication since we just got so many wonderful tips from Jenny. Leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. I hope everybody stay safe, stay well, and we'll be back soon.